Hey, thanks for listening to the Afresh Church Message Podcast. Our hope is that today's message is encouraging and uplifting and ultimately will draw you into a closer and deeper relationship with Jesus starting right now. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. You want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to start and go all the way to verse 43. And if you're reading from your Afresh Bibles, that's page number 602. Mark chapter 5, and, and we're going to catch up with, with, um, we're going to catch up with Jesus and uh, this man named Jairus, Okay. Now, just to give you some background, Jesus uh, is just doing his public ministry. He's, he's really taken off, and there are just tons of people so excited about what Jesus is doing. Uh, a lot of people really just don't even know what Jesus is doing. They're just like, this guy's he's different. We just got to follow him, right? And, uh, you know, he's making the Pharisees mad, as Jesus does, you know, making the religious people mad, you know. Uh, and, and so we, we catch up with Jesus. He just got uh, off of a boat. He, he was in, um, he was in, he was, he was on a, he was across the lake, and there was a man who was possessed by 2,000 demons, 2,000 demons, and uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus delivered him of every single one of those demons, and the people on the, on the, the people in the town were like, Jesus, we don't want anything to do with you. This is too much. This is too scary. We don't know what you're about, but just get out, get away. <laughs> we don't want you. I guess they would rather have a demon-possessed man than the one who has power over the demons, but that's just me. So, so Jesus like, all right, you know, if you guys don't want me, I'll, I'll, I'll leave. And so he goes across, uh, across the lake and, and he gets, he uh, gets on a boat and he gets off the boat and he, he arrives in, in, uh, on the shore. And uh, immediately there's just a huge crowd of people that come to, to flock to him because that's, that's just what people did when, when Jesus showed up. They just flocked to him because there's something different about this man. There's something that, that stirs up in my spirit when I'm near this man. There's something that just that lights up my ears when I hear this guy talk. He talks with such authority, talks with such power and might and gentleness and kindness. There's something different about this man. So people are just flocking. They're trying to figure it out, right? And so we meet this man, Jairus. He is flocking to Jesus, but, but for a little bit of a different reason. He, he knows that, that Jesus has healed many people before. He knows that he's done many miraculous signs and wonders before, and he needs that too. But not for him necessarily. He needs that for his daughter. His daughter is dying. So, so we're going to look at the, this interaction uh, between Jairus and Jesus and, uh, and see, what we can, see what we can gather from that. So let's read uh, Mark chapter 5. We'll start in verse 21. We'll go all the way to 43. I know it seems like a lot of scripture. It'll go by really fast. It reads like a storybook, okay? All right, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Let's, uh, let's dive right in. So, so Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then the leader of a local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. And now, let me just stop right there. Mark is, I, I, I love the gospel of Mark because 
I relate with him. I feel like Mark has ADHD a little bit. Um, a lot of the times you read his stories, they're just interrupted by a different story, and then he'll, he'll eventually tie it all back. And I feel like that's most of the way that I preach. So I like reading from Mark because it makes sense to me. So there's this interruption here when he's on the way to go heal uh, Jairus' daughter. I'll read verse 24 again. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and, and she touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, then I'll be healed. And immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible conditioning. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around to, into the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? But the disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he, keep, he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And the fright, then the, the, the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And that's a beautiful story. But let's get back to Jairus. Remember, that he, Jesus is on a mission here. 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and, and said to Jairus, ah, pff, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith. Faith, And then Jesus stopped the crowd, and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. <laughs> Love Jesus. He made them all leave. Then he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the, into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give this girl something to eat, some, some saltine crackers, some ginger ale, something. She's been through it. Give this girl something to eat. What, a, what an incredible story, and, and what, a, what a really um, really messy turn of events, really uh, weird turn of events that happened here, but and also a beautiful turn of events that happened at the same time. And, and you know, every time I've preached on this passage, which is, I think, one, once or twice so far, uh, I, I've always talked about the woman with the issue of blood. And, and most, of, most of us have probably heard this story, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman with the issue of blood, just touch reach out and touch his robe. That's all you got to do. The woman with the issue of blood. And, and that is a beautiful story. I love that. But, but I really want to focus on Jairus today. I, I really, and specifically the interaction when Jesus got to Jairus' house and he kicked the people out of the house. <laughs> he kicked the people out of the house. So, so um, I, I, I want us to, to, to really dive into this, this interaction, this moment in, in time today. And, and so uh, this is what I want to focus on. So my sermon title is actually just a question today. So if you're taking notes, write down this question and help me introduce my sermon title. Ask your neighbor this question. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, who's in your house? Who's in your house. Who's in your house? Who's in your 
house. Let me pray over us this morning and and we'll dive right in. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you so much for your scriptures. Thank you so much for this interaction that you you had with Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood and and Jairus' daughter and really everyone you've encountered so far in this this story. God, thank you for their their testimonies that have been affected. Thank you for their stories that have been affected. And God, we're asking that you would affect our story and write our story as well. We're believing for something great. I pray that you would speak to us, whatever you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, all the church said, amen. Amen. Who's in your house? Who's in your house? You know, it's, it's, speaking of houses, it's, it's funny the kind of things that we do um, to our house when, when we have guests coming over. Have you noticed this? Um, so so I, I didn't realize when I got married um, that I married a clone of my mom. When it comes to, <laughs> let me, when it comes to the fact of how she cleans the house, and I don't mean that in a misogynistic, how we clean the house, that's what I mean, but, but how she wants the house to be cleaned. And it, it's, it's especially intriguing to me when, um, when we have, when we have guests coming over because, you know, my, uh, you know, um, it's something about when guests come over, it's like, oh, we have to clean the entire house. Regardless where they go, we have to clean the entire house. So, so when, I, when, when I know we have guests come over, I, the week before, I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> I loathe it because I know all week long I'm going to be working, I'm going to be sweating, I'm going to be vacuuming, I'm going to be swiffering, I'm going to be cleaning the bathroom, the stuff I don't like to clean, I'm going to be mowing, I'm going to be trimming, all this kind of stuff. I'm going to be all day long breathing in all the chemicals from the, you know, just the whole house smells like bleach. You know what I'm talking about? When, when guests come over, the whole house smells like bleach. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all, we do all this stuff all day long, all week long, just for our guests to come over for two hours. You know, <laughs> like the, the payoff and the reward just doesn't seem, I don't know, it doesn't seem balanced to me. But, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything, there's, there's not any, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with having a clean house. I, I like having a clean house. But it's, there's a difference between, between clean and between people coming over clean. You know what I'm talking about? There's a difference between clean and people coming over clean. And, and you know, the, in, in my mind, the house is clean when the shoes are put nicely next to the door on the little, you know, the little rug, right? But it's a little excessive when, when, when there's people coming over clean where it's like we have to throw away all the shoes because people can't know we have shoes. We've got to hide them upstairs, you know? It's like we can't have the stuff that we live with out because it's, it, there's a different type of clean. There's clean and there's people coming over clean. And I have this, this vague memory of my mom, and, um, and I don't know who was coming over. She, she does like, Pampered Chef. Anyone know Pampered Chef? It's a pyramid scheme, but it's fine. Um, and she, so she does this Pampered Chef stuff, and uh, she, at least she she did back when, when I was a kid. And, and I remember she was, I think she was having a party uh, and she was like, Sean, you've got to hide all these pots and pans in your room. People can't know we have pots and pans. I was like, what? <laughs> I, I, I didn't understand. I was like, okay. So I, you know, most of the day I spent going back up, you know, upstairs to my room, putting pots and pans on my, on my bed just because we, we do weird things when people come over. Right. And you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, obviously it's not always this extreme, but, but I think we can kind of get the idea. And it, it usually depends on the person too. It usually depends on the person. So, you know, if, if, if your mom's coming over, 
eh, there's a different level of clean, right? It's like we don't have to necessarily, you know, clean everything the way that we would if, per se, your neighbor was coming over or, you know, like a, a close friend was coming over. It's, if there's a different level of clean. If, you know, if, you're, if your neighbor is coming over, you have to get rid of all the jackets in the coat closet because they can't know that you get cold, you know? And, and so it's, it's the weird things that we do when different people come over, but there's a different level of clean. You know what I'm talking about? There's a different level of clean based on the person. And it's funny because usually the less you know the person, the more you have to clean the house. <laughs> so the less you know, acquainted you are with this person, the more you're trying to impress them and you're cleaning the whole house. You're cleaning upstairs. They're not going to go upstairs, but you've got to clean it anyways because they're coming over to the house. There's different levels of clean. And, you know, with different levels of clean, there's also different levels of access to your house when it comes to guests coming over. So, you know, if, 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 if your neighbor comes over, typically you, you would shut the, da- the doors from, like, the bedroom, right? Or, or places that they should not be going. You know, the, the laundry room, they don't need to be in there. But if your friend comes over, it's like, okay, it, it's not as formal anymore. You can kind of roam around. Or, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your friend comes over and, you know, as soon as they walk in the door, they kick off their shoes, they go to the, to the fridge, they grab something out of it, they hop over the back of the couch, they lay on the couch and they try to watch TV, we probably wouldn't think anything, you know, really that bad. But if the UPS guy comes in the house, kicks his shoes off, goes right into the fridge, grabs something out, jumps over the couch and lays on the couch and tries to watch TV, we're probably calling the cops. You know what I mean? So, so there's, there's different levels of access um, that, that people have when it comes to your house. And, and the level of access is how much you let them in. Some people you let in all the way. Some people you let use your shower. I don't know. Most, some of us probably do. Uh, some people you let sleep on your couch. Some people you just meet at the door. There's different levels of access you uh, give people um, to, to your house. And just like different levels of clean, it depends on the guest. Different levels of access to your house depends on the guest. And, you know, there, there are sometimes different levels of, the, of, of access that we should allow people to have in our lives as well. You know, some people we let in. That's fine. Some people we, you know, monitor and we, we close off certain doors to our lives. Some people we just meet at the front door. You know what I mean? So there's different levels of access in our life. Why? Because, because who is speaking into your life matters so much. It's so crucial who we have in our house, so crucial who we have speaking in to us. And here we have Jairus. We see in, in verse 35 that Jairus has people speaking into him, your daughter is dead, man. Your daughter's dead. Give up. It's not worth the trouble anymore. Jesus can't do anything past this point now. It's too late. It's over. It's done. I mean, you've got to think what, what Jairus has been through at this point. I mean, Jairus, he's, a, he's a, like I said, he's a, a local leader of the synagogue. So, so he, you know, is a man of faith, and he's a man of respect, too. So, so you know, when, when, when his daughter is sick, and we don't know how long she was sick for. We don't know if this is something that just arose. We don't know what's been, if it's something that they've been struggling with for, for months or maybe even years. But we just know his daughter's sick and that he needs help. And he knows that this Jesus guy is, has performed miracle signs and wonders before. And maybe, just maybe, he might be able to heal my daughter. And so this, this, this man of high respect and high valor does something that not a lot of people did, and he knelt at Jesus' feet. Now, that is something that is dishonorable. That is something that is, uh, that is if, if you're a, a person of, of high respect, you just, you don't do that. It's dishonorable. But he's desperate. 
He said, my, 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 I, I'm here for my daughter. I need a healing for my daughter. I'll do whatever it takes to get this healing for her. So he kneels at Jesus' feet and he's weeping and begging, please come see my daughter. Please just come lay your hands and pray over my daughter. Please just come and come to my house. And so he begs Jesus to come to his house and Jesus does. He does. And, and I like to imagine that people that follow Jesus probably got irritated with him from time to time just because of his pace. <laughs> there, not once in scripture, oh, actually only once in scripture does Jesus ever say hurry or any kind of hurry. And that's Zacchaeus when he says, hurry, get out of the tree. Uh, other than that, he never ran anywhere. He was never in a rush. He was never in a hurry. He took in every moment that he had. So, so <laughs> as, as Jairus is, you know, probably freaking out as any dad, any good dad would, he's freaking out and Jesus is just you know, with his slow pace, just walking. And then, you know, there's a crowd around him, so he's just like talking to everybody, hey, you know. And, and Jairus is like kind of leading the group. He's like, come on, Jesus. He, he'll come back every so often, like, let's, let's go. We, we, got a, we got a mission. And so I, I imagine Jairus just getting a little bit frustrated with him and, and, um, and you know, in a, in, a, in a good way, of course. And because there's this sense of urgency, and I, I, I guess Jairus just is like, man, Jesus just doesn't get it. So every so often he's looking back, and he's still coming, he's still coming. And finally he looks back, and he sees Jesus talking to this woman, and the crowd stopped. And, and Jairus is like, come on, man, like, I've, I'm, I'm on a time-sensitive mission here, and so are you. You know, and, and so, so imagine the, the, how Jairus is feeling right now. Where he's like, my, my daughter is about to die, and, and the, the only one who can even maybe heal her is, is talking to somebody else. Imagine the pain that he must have felt when at the very same moment he saw a woman of 12 years of sickness get her healing. And in the same exact moment, he got the news that his daughter of 12, 12 years lost hers. I mean, that's, that's got to be an emotional roller coaster. And the people that are surrounding Jairus are saying, look, man, it's, it's too late. It's time to give up. It's time to go home. We got a funeral to plan. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. And I love that, that Jesus, I, I love Jesus' response to this because the Bible says he overheard, and some translations say Jesus ignored. <laughs> so Jesus ignored what they said, and, and he spoke to Jairus right after he healed this woman, and he said, Jairus, don't worry, just have faith. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. And I love that because you don't always have to respond to the lies. You don't always have to acknowledge the lies. Sometimes you just got to look to the truth. <laughs> and, and, and the one who is the truth, Jesus. And even though you don't understand everything, and even though people are speaking into you, you don't always have to acknowledge that. It's okay to ignore them, okay? That, Jesus did it, so certainly so can we. But this is where it gets really interesting because, you know, there, there are a few details I want to focus on specifically in this event. And it's the fact that, that you know, after Jairus' daughter dies, they still head to Jairus' house. So I don't know what's going through Jairus' head that Jesus is still coming, you know, to, this, to his house. I mean, it's, it's over. That's the news he got. It's, it's over. And I know Jesus said have faith, but, I mean, maybe he didn't fully hear the news. It's over. She's dead. She's dead. And, and, but, but I noticed something great in, in the text is that Jesus, after he heals this woman and goes to Jairus' house, he stops the crowd. He says, all right, you guys stay here. In fact, all 12 of his disciples, he talks to them and say, all right, Peter, James, John, I need you guys. The rest of you, just, just stay here, manage the crowd. 
I just need three of us. And so immediately we see Jesus being really selective um, with the people that are coming into the house. He's being really selective uh, with people that are coming along with him, which tells me it's important who you, who you invite. It's important who you invite. And, and I mean, think about it this way too, not that it really matters, but I mean, Houses back in the day weren't nearly as big as they are now. You know, there's not 6,000 square foot houses back in, you know, Jerusalem. So, so um, just imagine, just imagine waking up in this, this tiny, I mean, houses back then were really only for sleeping and, and, and eating. That was about it. So they weren't, you know, luxurious. They didn't have huge, you know, great TV rooms with a PlayStation. They didn't exist. Okay. So, so there's just, you know, small houses and can you imagine um, if, you're, if you're this little girl and, and you've died and you're, you're about to wake up and there's 12 guys around you, Jesus and your parents, all in your bedroom. You're like, huh, okay, this is a bit overwhelming. <laughs> I think Jesus thought of that too. But the main point is who you invite matters. Who you invite in matters. It's important who you give access to. It's important who you give access to. So when Jesus gets to Jairus' house, he sees a ton of people that Jairus had already invited in. And they were weeping and wailing and mourning, the Bible says, and, and, and you know, they're, they're distraught, which, you know, understandable because this wasn't a funeral. This was a death. This wasn't part of the plan. You know, they just witnessed this little girl's life be taken from her. This life is gone from her now. So this isn't, this isn't a funeral where they're coming to expect. This is death. So, so of course, they're, they're weeping and, and mourning and crying, and understandably so. But, but Jesus gets on the scene. He gives them the greatest news they need to hear. Don't worry. She's not dead. She's just asleep. She's not dead. Now, now normally, this would encourage shouts of joy, you know, and, and, and eruptions of praise because this is great news. The Savior of the world has come to save this, this little girl. She's not dead. She's just asleep. But instead, they laughed at him. <laughs> Instead, they laughed at him, which tells me they already had their minds set up, made up, of what they were going to believe. And I get it, you know, this is an impossible situation, but I don't, I don't think they fully understood who Jesus was, and so they, they laughed at him. And it's so interesting how in just a moment they went from mourning to mocking just because they already had their mind made up. But that's the power of who's in the house. That's the power of who's in the house. If you do not invite the right people, do not expect the right outcome. That's the importance of inviting the right people into the house. And, the, you know, these people had given up on hope. They'd given up on faith. They'd given up on miracles. So they were laughing at the idea that this man could perform the impossible. You know, so Jesus did the only logical thing that he could do. He said, get out. All right, now's your time. Come on, go. <laughs> and shoot all the people out of the house. In fact, the Greek uh, of this text uh, implies that Jesus physically pushed them out of the house. <laughs> so, so Jesus is pretty serious about who's in the house, and he's, he's, not, he's not holding back if he's got to kick some people out. So, so he, he, uh, he, he forces these people out of the house, and this is such an important, um, an important detail because it shows that Jesus intentionally chose who went in the house, and Jesus intentionally chose who he escorted out. And it's important that you have both. It's so crucial that you have both. Who you invite in and who you escort out. Nicely, of course. I'm sure Jesus was nice about it, you know. But I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I struggled with this passage for a little bit. I did. I, I was like, God, how, why would you kick people out of the house? Especially faithless people that have already given up 
People that, that didn't believe what you were going to say. I mean, in my mind, you know, wouldn't these people be the ones that need to see the miracle themselves? I mean, I just, I, I, don't, I don't get it. You know, this is the Savior of the world, Jesus, the all-inclusive loves everybody, Jesus, you know, died for everybody, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost, Jesus. You know, and aren't these the, the people, Jesus, these are the people Jesus kicked out, the people that didn't believe? Shouldn't he have proved them wrong? I mean, these are just the questions that I have, and you know, shouldn't these have been the ones that actually saw the miracle? And, and I realized that eventually they, they did see the miracle. The, the girl eventually got up and walked out of the house. We know the end of the story. She was healed, and, and she was probably the talk of the town for a little bit. You know, and, and so, but because of their lack of faith, and I mean manners too, uh, they missed seeing the miracle with their own two eyes. And so it's the, 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 Jesus, or the reason Jesus kicked them out of the house was not necessarily based entirely on their faithless, faithlessness alone, but more so the fact that their faithlessness was a distraction to Jairus who needed to have the most faith in the room. Notice that Jesus did not give Jairus one ounce of bad news the entire time. There was not one ounce of doubt, not any reason to believe that he was not going to do what he said he was going to do. What was making Jairus doubt were the people that Jairus had around him, the people Jairus had invited into his life. Because it's hard to have faith when you're surrounded by a bunch of people who don't. It's, it's, it's hard to be confident when you're surrounded by a bunch of skeptics who, who aren't. It's, it's hard to, to believe when everyone around you doesn't. It's hard to be positive when you surround yourself with negative people. And I'm not just talking about the power of positivity. I'm, I'm talking about the power of Jesus here. So, so Jesus wanted Jairus to have faith in him and him alone and not be distracted by listening to the peanut gallery. I think we can all relate with having a peanut gallery in our lives and some people that are speaking into us that just need to not. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Jesus... And his infinite wisdom said, all right, it's time to go. And he escorted them out. So so something to note that before the miracle happened, the first thing Jesus did was he reset the room. The first thing Jesus did was he reset the room. The first thing Jesus did was he intentionally invited in and intentionally escorted out. Because it is so important who we surround ourselves with. It is so important who is in our house and who is in our life. Because you can't expect growth in an unhealthy environment. You can't. You can't expect growth in an unhealthy, you can't expect big faith in a faithless environment. And, you know, it, it's, it's our relationship with God and, and our faith that makes this place what it is, isn't it? I mean, if it wasn't for our relationship with God and his presence, we'd just be a nightclub during the day, <laughs> essentially. I mean, we got cool music, we got great coffee, we got cool lights, and that's it. If it wasn't for the presence of Jesus and the, being surrounded by people of faith and being surrounded by people of, of like-mindedness and, and people who want to grow in their relationship with Jesus, this would, this would be nothing, you know? And, you know, but, but because we are a body of people who do speak life and truth and God's presence is with the ones who have accepted this free gift of forgiveness, this is where God sets up life-changing moments to happen each and every single week. It's the environment. It's the environment. This, because the environment matters. And, you know, faith, hope, growth, and sacrifice all, all, all matter when we are doing all this together. And, and the environment in which you surround yourself with matters. It's our goal to help you grow closer to Jesus. And it's really hard not to when you're here. But if I had no faith, 
If I had no faith, if our leadership had no faith, if our volunteers had no faith, if, you know, if nobody had any faith, it would, just, it would be life-changing still, but just not in the way that you would want it to be. It would still be life-changing because your life always moves in the direction of who you're close to. Your life always moves in the direction of who you're close to. Your environment you place yourself in will affect you. The people you surround yourself with will affect you. And that's why Jesus was selective who he brought in and selective who he escorted out. Because Jairus' daughter is dead. Jairus needs a miracle. And the last thing he needs is doubt and fear and skepticism. He needs faith. And he needs to be surrounded by like-minded believers who believe the same. He needs to have the right environment. Our environment is so important. You know, we, we would be foolish to think. We'll set up an illustration here. We would be foolish to think if I'm a recovering alcoholic, let's just say I am, I'd be foolish to think that the best place for me to be surrounded by is with my alcoholic friends at the bar, right? I mean, that makes sense. That would not be, that would not be setting up uh, an environment for me to thrive in, yes? If I was an alcoholic and I went to the bars and hang out with my friends, more than likely I'm going to succumb to the, the lifestyle that they live and it's not going to be good for me. Right? So the environment matters. What you surround yourself with matters. If I have, let me find it here. If I have a seed and I place it in this vase and I say, all right, grow. And I don't give it any water. I don't give it any soil. And I keep it in the dark. I would be foolish to expect growth, wouldn't I? I mean, I, I, I could sit here and, and you pray over it, say, oh God, please, please grow. But at the end of the day, the environment is squashing the potential of the seed. Let me illustrate the point further. If I took my phone and I placed it in this water, actually, all right, I'll do it. I would be foolish if I were to expect my phone to work after this because of the environment that I surrounded it in. Now, I, I, again, I can sit here and pray, oh God, please, please, I, 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 I'm expecting big things, and then I place my phone in water. <laughs> it's, not, it's not meant to thrive in water. It's not meant to be there. It's not designed for it, and it's not healthy for it. So then, when I, when I take this out, now it's useless, and there's no point, okay? So, so this, this is what happens, and I hope I can get across with the visual. This is what happens when we surround ourselves with people that are just not, not good for us. We put ourselves in an environment that is not allowing us to thrive. And we wonder, we wonder, we, we do this all the time. We wonder, God, why, why does it feel like I'm so far from you? God, why does it feel like I'm, I'm so distant from you? And why does it feel like you, you just ne you never hear me? And, and I know you said you'll never forsake me, but gosh, it sure feels that way. And we, we are surrounding ourselves with people that are constantly talking us down, constantly squashing our faith, constantly making us doubt, making us, making us uneasy in our faith. I'm not talking about uncomfortable. You want people that push you, but I'm talking about the people that are just not good for the, your, the growth of your faith and the growth of your relationship with Jesus, that's who I'm talking about. And we wake up one day and we say, God, why are you so far away? And it's not God who's far away, it's us. It's us. 
Now the environment my phone needs is probably a bag of rice um, overnight. <laughs> Does that make sense? Does that make sense? The environment you place yourself in matters so much because we can be as, as you know, determined and, 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 and dedicated and secure and, and we can be strong and all these other adjectives I can't think of right now. We can convince ourselves that we are and we, we think you are. I don't care how, how much you think you can. If we place yourself in an environment to fail, you're going to fail. If you place yourself in an environment designed to fail, you're going to fail. If you allow people to speak into your life that are constantly dragging you down, constantly squashing your faith, constantly filling your mind with disbelief, doubt, and fear, and distracting you from Jesus instead of attracting you to Jesus... We're going to fail, and, and we're going we're gonna to wake up one day, and it's, it's not God that's distant. It's us. It's us. Who we choose to surround ourselves with makes an impact. And I, let me just be clear, too. I'm not, I'm not talking about everybody. You know, there's, there's no way we can avoid uh, ever running into people that are just negative people, right? You know, uh, this is not an excuse to quit your job, okay? Just let me make that clear. Um, funny story, I had, had someone come up to me um, uh, a while ago and say, hey, you know, um, I was really impacted by your sermon, and, and I felt the Lord tell me to quit my job, and so I did, and I just want to thank you for that. I was like, and I went back, I was like, please, God, let that have been you. I, I would hate to be responsible for something like that. So this is not an excuse to quit your job unless you're confident the Lord is telling you to. But I'm not talking about people that we can't avoid. I mean, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He said, you can't avoid um, these kinds of people. You know, he lists a bunch of sins and, and a bunch of different things. He's like, you, you'd have to leave the earth to avoid those kind of people. You can't. You can't. But what you do have control of is how much access they have in your life. Remember, so, so some people have access to all the doors. Some people have access to your shower. Some people just, you meet at the door. And I think the, the, the environment we place ourselves in is the one that's intentional, the one that we allow people to speak into our lives, right? Is, um, your, your coworkers, I know they get on your nerves sometimes, and, and I know they're not maybe the, the, the people with the most faith, um, but, but I'm talking about the, 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 the people you hang out with outside of work. I'm talking about the people you hang out with outside of, of Sundays, outside of church. Uh, you know, Jesus, he, he was surrounded by a bunch of faithless, doubting, uh, skeptical people uh, every day. And in fact, a lot of them tried to kill him, okay? So, so he, was, he, was, uh, he was placed in that environment. But, but what he did that was different is we have to notice is that he still had his 12. He had his 12. Th those were the people that had access to a lot more than everybody else. And then even further than that, out of his 12, he still had his three, Peter, James, and John. He hung out with them quite often, quite often. But these were people that were building each other up, not tearing each other down. These were people that were building faith, that were building relationship together in a good and healthy, positive way. So yeah, Jesus was exposed to all that, just like we are every day, but we, we have to choose our 12. I'm talking about our 12. I'm talking about our three. It's not necessarily 12 or three, but our tight-knit, close group of people. And we have to ask ourselves, are they distracting us from Jesus, or are they attracting us to Jesus? I heard a pastor say this once. He said, if you want to look 10 years into your future, just take a look at your friends. 
<laughs> and for some of us, that's really encouraging. And for others, well, that's, yeah, okay, that's kind of scary. <laughs> but it's true. If you, want to, if you want to look 10 years into your future, take a, just take a look at your friends. Take a look at the people you hang out with. Take a look at the people that you surround yourself with. Because believe it or not, your friends, even if they know it or not, they have influence on you. They have influence. And influence isn't necessarily good or bad. <clears throat> it's a tool. It's, it's just a thing. But how it's used can be great or destructive. But it's all dependent on how it's being used. And it's all dependent on the people you surround yourself with. I had a group of uh, three friends uh, that I used to hang out with in my neighborhood. And um, they were not the best of friends. Um, they were good friends, I'll say, but they weren't good for me. I'll just put it that way. And uh, we had this, this boy named Tommy. And I love Tommy. He's such a great guy. I feel so bad for the things we did to him years and years later because, I mean, we picked on him all the time. And, and, and I don't say that to sound like we've, you know, made up, by the way. It's just childhood stuff. But I, I remember one time, uh, Tommy, he would do anything that we told him to do for $5. And um, there was this one time he, we told him, we and my, me and my friends, we told him, hey, you know those storm drains that go into your driveway? They're like, you know, I don't know, 18 inches around or something like that. And they're like ribbed and stuff. You know what I'm talking about? So they, they, they let the water flow underneath the driveways. Well, <clears throat> there was one in their neighborhood that was a double length. So normal driveway, I don't know, 10 feet or something like that. This was 20 feet. And we said, hey, Tommy, we'll give you $5 if you climb through that, if you crawl through that. And Tommy, you know, being influenced by us, was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And so he crawled through the storm drain. And oh, this poor kid, he got stuck halfway through. And so he was nine years old, just wailing, ah, ah, you know, but it sounds different because of the, <laughs> anyways. So I, I felt so bad because I'm freaking out. I'm like, man, I knew we shouldn't have done this in the first place. And our, you know, my friends, they're laughing at him. And I'm like, oh, this is not great. And he's crying his eyes out. And he's like, I'm going to die in here. I'm like, Tommy, you know, you're not, you're fine, Tommy. Let me go get my mom. And so I ran down and I guess as soon as my friends saw me run into my mom's house, they're like, oh, we got to get him out. <clears throat> And so by the time I almost got to my mom's house, they yelled, hey, we got him out, we got him out. And I was like, Phew, thank God, because I really don't want to tell my mom. I, I told this kid to climb through the storm drain. <laughs> and, and, and so we got him out. I think they got him out with like a rope or, or a stick or something like that. And he was just covered head to toe in just muck. Oh, it was gross. He smelled so bad. And of course, now that he was out of it, you know, he's, he's crying and my friends are laughing at him. And I'm like, man, this is... This is not a good place for me to be in, but I was a part of it, and I realized something important that day. Uh, my friends were stupid. <laughs> my friends were really, really dumb. There was a lot of stuff we did that I got in trouble for that I didn't even want to do. Why? Because my friends had influence on me. Even at nine years old, my friends had influence on me, and it was you know, nothing they forced me to do necessarily, but it was just the, the natural influence that they had. They were, they, they were leading me to a place that was not good. And like I said, they, they were good friends. They cared for me. They just didn't lead me to good decisions. And I think there's an important distinction we need to, to make in our, our friend groups. Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's, a, there's a passage of scripture in... Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 33, and Paul writes this, and he says, he says, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And so even though I, I was a church kid, I, I, I was, you know, I, 
I didn't do all my, didn't do all my homework, but I was okay. You know, I, I, was, I was a good kid. I was nice. But because of the friend groups I hang out, hung out with, the bad company corrupted the good character in me. And, and I found myself doing things and going places and, and, and being a part of things I never wanted to be a part of just because of the friends that I decided I wanted to hang out with because bad company corrupts good character. But I do have good news to share today, and it's in Proverbs 27, 17. You can go ahead and come on up, Leslie. I know I'm, I'm talking enough today. But it's in Proverbs 27, 17. This is the good news I have. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And we've probably heard this before, iron sharpens iron. But we leave the last part out. So a friend sharpens a friend. And God has given us this beautiful gift of relationship. I don't think we've realized this. God has given us this beautiful gift of relationship and, and friendship. And, you know, uh, from the very beginning, we were designed for relationship. We were designed to interact with one another. And, and we were designed to have relationship with God. And we were designed to have relationship with people, with others. You're okay. <laughs> We were designed to have relationship with God and with others, not one or the other. And, and our relationship with God is supposed to encourage us to grow in our relationship with others. And our relationship with others should be encouraging to grow in our relationship with God. They're intertwined, they're intertwined. We are designed for relationships, but we do have to set some boundaries because there are just some people that are just not good for us. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, you know, or a statement towards anybody, because God loves every single person, uh, period. God loves the people you don't like. God loves the people that don't like you. God loves the people we don't get along with. God loves the people who have opposing political views than you, if you can believe that. God loves the people that don't even love him, and he gave his life for him. God loves everybody. It's our responsibility to love everybody too, but it's not our, but it's our, it's, it's our, it's not our obligation but it's our opportunity to love everybody. But just because we love everybody doesn't mean we give them access to speaking into our lives. God loves everybody, but not everybody's good for us to hang out with. And so my, my challenge today is, is we need to reestablish who we invite into our house and who we escort out. We need to reestablish our relationships. I, I believe God wants us, um, God wants us for our relationships to be redefined and, and our relationships to be rationed, refined, or released. One of those three, I, I think they either need to be built, they need to be lessened, or they just need to be let go. Because God cares about us and he cares about who we surround ourselves with. You know, it's, these are people that need less access, more access, or no access in your life. But when you find the right ones, I want to encourage you today, hang on to them. When you find the right one, when you find the ones who are encouraging you in your faith, when you find the ones who are encouraging you to worship, encouraging you to read the word, encouraging you to pray, praying with you, you need to hold on to those. Those are gonna be the people you're gonna look back and say, wow, they've impacted my life and my relationship with Jesus so much because your friends have a voice. 
If you want your relationship to grow with Jesus, which I assume we all do since we're here, we've got to pick people that promote progress. If you can remember anything from today, if you take anything away from today, pick people that promote progress, that promote more faith, that promote more trust, that promote more prayer over everything. Pick people that promote progress. Some of us might be thinking, I'm being attacked by the enemy, and you might, (laughs) but you might just need to have some new friends. We've got to pick people that promote progress. Pick people that push you. I talked to a guy um, a few weeks ago, and and he's he's a good friend of mine. He goes to church somewhere up in Pennsylvania. And he said, you know what I love about my church? And I was thinking him, you know, thinking he was gonna say some generic answer like, I love the music, I love the worship, I love the pastor, I love the coffee. I don't know, I was just expecting that. So you know what I love about my church? I love that the culture is we push people to get better. I was like, well, I didn't expect that. That's, tell me more. He said, well, you know, I I don't know, it's a large church, I don't know everybody there, but no matter, if, if I step in the door, no matter what happens, when I step in the door, people push me. People push me to worship God more, to lay more down. People push me to get into the word. People push me to pray more. He said, it's just this culture they've, they've developed in the small group I'm in. They, they just push me. They push me. I said, wow, I, I love that. We, and, and it made me realize we've got to find people that, that push us in a good way, in a positive direction. And, and I'm going to throw a plug out here for life groups because it's so important. It's so crucial that we have that, that group of people that we, that we are, are close with, that group of people that, that enable us to grow in our relationships with Jesus. We've got to be picky about who's in our house, picky about finding people that speak into our lives, that speak truth, that speak love, that speak encouragement, and that speak growth. This is so important and it's gonna affect every part of our lives. Just like Jairus, when Jesus kicked all the people out and he selected who he brought in, Jairus now had a new outlook on faith because he didn't have all those voices that were speaking into him, negativity and doubt and fear and lies. And I think, I I don't wanna say this insensitively, but I'll say it because I love us, I love you guys, but I think a lot of our problems are produced by the people we've placed there. A lot of our problems are produced by the people we've placed around our lives to speak influence into us and to speak over us. So maybe now is the time. I, feel, I just feel God saying it's, it's time to start new relationships and time to, to let old ones go. But I feel like what a better time to start than right now. We've got to pick, be picky about who's in our house and who is speaking into our lives. And that's much easier said than done. I get it, but it's so impactful when we do. All right, let me, let's, let's jump up on our feet. I'm sweating to death. So I'm gonna try to <laughs> hurry a little. Our friends are important. 
Our people that we surround ourselves with are important because ultimately you can be convinced about anything. You can be talked out of anything. And there's this, ah, should I say it? I'm gonna say it. And something I've noticed recently in especially Christian cultures is this idea of destruction of faith. You've probably heard of this. And I think it's just a really, really dangerous move because all we're doing is surrounding ourselves with people that are, that are speaking influence into us that is not the truth of what God is saying and that is not the truth of what Jesus is saying. Deconstruct religion, absolutely, but there has been some stuff that Jesus has done in your life there have, I know half the testimonies of, of, of you people in here. There's, there's some incredible things God has done in your life. And the last thing you need is the, the people around you convincing you that it, it didn't happen or that it, it, it didn't happen the way you thought it did or, or oh, there's an explanation for this. So it's, it's so important that we be careful because this is what can lead us away from faith and from Jesus and our relationship with him. We're designed for relationships. We can't do it alone. So it's important that we find the ones that can lead us back to Christ every single time, every single time. So I'm going to leave that with you. The challenge today is be picky about who's in your house. Maybe it's time to let some more people in and maybe it's time to let some people go. Let me pray over us and I'll I'll send us out and I'll I'll shut up, okay? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing time of worship today, this amazing time that we get to gather together and be in your house. God, I'm so grateful for the example that you've set for us to pick good friends, to pick good people to influence us, good leaders, good teachers, and just the close friends because that's who we go to first. A lot of the time when we have issues, we have struggles, we we go to these friends and God, I pray that you would divinely send people into our lives, divinely invite people into our lives that are going to help us grow closer to you (laughs) and that you would divinely start to send some people away that are keeping us from you. God, I, I pray over our inner circles today and I pray that you would just keep keep them close, keep the, keep the people that are, are really, really speaking into our lives, keep them close. And I pray that you protect us, protect our emotions, protect our, our mindsets, protect our faith. God, I thank you for this, this amazing sacrifice you've made for us by giving up your life so that we can have it. I pray that no single person, no single lie of the enemy, and no situation can ever make us take that for granted. God, this relationship we have with you is everything. This, this presence that you've, that you've instilled in us is everything. These moments we get to be together with you is everything. God, protect those moments. Protect these moments, Jesus. 
God, we love you. We worship you. I just pray you protect this, protect these moments we have. And I pray that if there's anybody in the room here who doesn't, who doesn't know you on a personal level, who doesn't have a relationship with you, who, who, who hasn't trusted you with their lives, God, I pray you start to divinely inspire them as well. And, and let me just speak to you for a moment. If, if that's you, I, just, I, I always take this, this opportunity because it's so crucial, because this is the most important decision you can make in your entire lives to follow Jesus. And, and, it, and it gets so much better from here. It doesn't always get easier, but it gets so much better because we're finally connected with our creator. We're connected with the one who created us and who, who loves us and who gave his life for us. We're connected with the one who we were supposed to be connected with from the very beginning through the sacrifice of Jesus. So this, this, this decision is so important. We follow Jesus and give him our lives. So I, I don't want you to leave here without making that, making that decision today. And it's not just a decision you, you make once. It's something you can do every single day. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, it's, it's, my relationship with God isn't as, should, as, as good as it should be. That's okay. Today is a new beginning. His mercies are new every morning, and we get to go from glory to glory. We're always growing when we choose Jesus. So no matter how far you've come, no matter how far you've been, no matter how messed up you think you are, or maybe even that you know for a fact that you are, Jesus, Jesus is, is the, when we choose Jesus, this is what we're meant to do with our lives. This is where we see our purpose. This is where we see our worth. Because there is someone who loves you so, so much. That he did everything to be with you. So whether you're choosing to follow Jesus today for the first time or choosing to follow Jesus today for, for the hundred thousandth time, just know it gets better from here. It gets so much better from here. God, again, I, I pray you protect our relationships. Pray that you'd start new ones that are necessary for us to grow. God, just place us in environments that are good for us. We love you and we give you our lives. We give you our worship and we give you our hearts. We lay it all at your feet today. And I declare that we are going to leave those doors completely different in Jesus' mighty name. And it's only through the power of your name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. We pray that God has used this message to speak to you and to show you how much he loves you. And if God has shown you something incredible, we want to hear about it. Please send us an email to hello at afreshchurch.com. And if you want to partner with us financially to help our ministry spread the good news of Jesus' love for all people, you can do so at afreshchurch.com give. Every dollar we receive goes back to loving people into a relationship with Jesus. We want to encourage you to go out and live life with the one who gives life because it's so much better when we do it with Jesus. Jesus.